0: for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize picks. Daily fantasy sports made easy. This is the American Veteran Show. Proud to finally say these two words. Welcome all. Dedicated to those who have worn the uniform. Tremendous national asset. Dedicated to our active duty men and women. They came not as conquerors, but as liberators. Dedicated to presenting issues, topics, and interviews. Highlighting their commitment to our country. I want to thank the courageous men and women who've served their country in uniform. Less than one percent of the population of our country chooses to serve our country in the military. And the other 99 percent of us, we owe them. Online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephen Tubbs.
1: Welcome to this week's edition of the American Veteran Show. Thank you, as always, for joining us noon on Sundays here on 710 KNUS. Coming up, we've got a three-part interview with a Vietnam veteran for tours in combat. The United States Navy veteran will talk with him straight ahead. And we wrap up the program with a great friend of mine, Major General retired United States Air Force Trulan Iyer, who just about a month ago retired after 34 years with Delta Airlines as a captain and congruently 37 years overall with the United States Air Force and in the Colorado Air National Guard. As always, our program is not possible without our presenting sponsor, Attorney John Boson at Boson Law, B O E S E N Law, bosonlaw.com fighting on behalf of veterans every single day. Their number 303-999-9999. And just a heads up, if you had anything to do with Camp Lejeune, get in touch with Boson Law, you may have awards coming to you as in rewards, monetary rewards. So keep that in mind. And we welcome Noel Lane to the program. And uh, before we get into anything, Noel, I want to say welcome home to you and thank you. Well, thank you. Why are we
2: talking with you today? Because it's important for me as a veteran and the 12 veterans in our group to let the world know, and this is huge, that the VA has divided and conquered veterans in order to reduce their contingent liability for their future care. There's two parts of the VA, Stefan, and, and they're important. There's the caregiver part. The caregiver part of the VA, they're as good as any doctor or nurse or practitioner you've met anywhere. And it's like the bell curve. There's good and bad on both sides, but the caregivers are fabulous. Now the other side is the administration. The VA, I believe, exists for self-propagation. I believe that it fits the same bell curve. There's 80% of them are good people that are trying to do their jobs and keep and move forward. And there's the sides on either. But the VA administrators don't exist for the veterans. They exist to perpetuate their own jobs. I made four deployments to Vietnam. When I came back, I went about life and moved on. Around 63, I was I play poker. I've been playing poker with the same group for over 30 years. And when you say
1: 63, I just want everybody to know that you mean not 1963, obviously. You mean about 63 years of age. Yeah, I'm yeah.
2: 72 now, so mm-hmm. it's a long so time. We're,
1: yeah, we're talking about a, a little less than a decade, but still, uh-huh. back to poker.
2: And uh, one of my poker buddies, two of my poker buddies in the group, one was a department head, VA psychiatrist, Here at Claremont at the old hospital, and the other one was the manager of the Boulder Vet Center. And one day I got taken to lunch by the two of them and told I needed help. I didn't realize it. My wife had talked to me, but you don't realize how you're changing because it occurs at a point in time that's not planned. All of a sudden, it's like, my inputs are wrong. This, you know, I'm not reading the situation right. Were you, did, were you one of those that, uh, did you get angry easily? Oh, yes. Rage is a huge issue. Uh, and you learn how to control it. When we were talking earlier, you mentioned managers being a, a, a negative term. I don't know what I can say on TV, on the, the <laughs> radio. Fine. but uh-huh. uh It's not that you're that term. It's that you become so focused and you realize what cause and effect is. You start trying to do things to eliminate the effect of the cause. Mm -hmm. You know, you become – my kids used to joke with me, Dad, we go to the stock show and you make us line up against the wall by the windows and you tell us where we can go out if the crowds get too big. I go to Kia the crowds overwhelm me and i have to escape mm-hmm. it's you go in unconscious of that and all of a sudden it's closing in around you uh our group healthcare. in my group it's all wars combat group we had a korean veteran he passed away We have two Vietnam vets. I think you, I mean, uh, Uh, World World War War II II vets. I know
1: Mr. Blaine and Mr. Whipple. Yes. They've been on
2: this program before. Yeah. And they're in our group. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jim Blaine, as you know, it's for 77 years he's been trying to get the VA to deal with what they did to him back in
1: 1945. Yep. And in Iwo Jima. In Iwo Jima. As a Marine. Yeah.
2: What happened, COVID set everybody back. And the VA, like. Many government businesses and other businesses responded, they shut down operations. When they shut down, they left their veterans hanging. People could work from home. You do a video conference. It's not the same as talking face-to-face with someone. So we go through that for a couple of years. We can't even meet in the Denver Vet Facility because they've said, no, you don't, you mask, all of this. We're meeting in parks.
1: That's where you guys met.
2: Yeah, in a park. In the winter, in the summer, made no difference trying to keep things going. So now our counselor, who put this group together well over 12 years ago, let me step back. How does this group work? Every week, the individuals meet with the same counselor. Every week, following that counselor meeting, you meet with the combat group. The combat group then takes, and you're counseled to interact with each other. You ask me, do I have rage? Yes. Well, if you haven't experienced that type of rage, it's hard to address it. Mm -hmm. But if the man sitting next to you says, no, listen to what you just said and look at your face and how you react, all of a sudden you go, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah.
1: Let me stop you there because I want to make sure that people know who we are talking with. Noel Lane, United States Navy, a torpedo man in Vietnam. Not one, not two, not three, four deployments to Vietnam from 1969 to 1973. You were a senior in high school when
2: you enlisted. I joined in the middle of my senior year in high school. They had a program called the 120-Day Delay Program. So you joined. I joined in March. I graduated in June. And what I figured in my mind was that gave me rate advancement, pay advancement. I'm getting 120 days extra. So I graduated in the middle of June on a Friday. On a Monday, I get a call from my recruiting officer. No, how would you like three more weeks of summer vacation before you go active duty? I said yes.
1: Of course, most I lived on the
2: beach in California, so I did my three weeks extra. We go into the induction center, Stefan. It was amazing. I'm standing there. I'm swearing in. I said, "Wait a minute, the contract's wrong. This says four years active and two years inactive." I joined on the Kitty cruise, which if you joined before your 18th birthday, you got out on your 21st birthday. You did three and three instead of four and two. Well, when my uh, service officer asked me if I wanted three more weeks... When I was down at the induction center and I said, the contract's wrong. I said, I joined on the Kitty Cruise. The guy said, no, they canceled that program three weeks ago.
1: Funny they didn't tell you, though. We're going to take our first break here on the American Veteran Show. And when we come back, we'll continue with Noel Lane. I want to make sure that some of you Vietnam veterans, uh, some of you veterans in general, I want you to know about Noel's group and, uh, and what they are doing. And that is not going quietly into the night when it comes to Uh, The Veterans Administration, the Veterans Affairs Administration, I know that some of you absolutely despise it. Noel, I thought, was absolutely forthcoming. Uh, Dividing it into two parts, the care is is at times top-notch. The administration, on the other hand, as we have talked about over the years on the program, is a completely different animal. We will continue with this United States Navy veteran, a resident of Lakewood. That comes up next. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com.
0: to the American Veteran Show. Here's Stefan Tubbs.
1: We continue the American Veteran Show on this Sunday with United States Navy veteran, Vietnam veteran, and we welcome him home, Torpedo Man Noel Lane. And uh, I think I'll just say he's in his early 70s. And as you heard in our first segment, or if you're just joining us, within the last 10 years, four deployments, his service, it caught up with him just a little bit. And I have heard this story so many times over the last couple of decades. And Noel, I, I I just so thank you for coming in and and being real and talking about this. Look, you're you're in your senior year of high school. You decide to to join because you got a sweet deal, and then well, the deal has kind of changed. Specifically, in what you're comfortable in talking about, did what you saw from from that high school senior's mind. You may have imagined what Vietnam would be like. Was there any comparison to reality?
2: No. There's no reality that prepares you to see people hurt. No reality. Uh, You can't prepare for a traffic accident. You can't prepare for war. It's something that all of a sudden is there, and it's on you. Your training is what keeps you going, but your mind literally starts to go, I shouldn't be here. What is this? This is more than I expected. And it's nothing to do with fear or trepidation or anything. It's that this is overwhelming. The input is so intense, you don't quite understand all that's happening to you. And you're so young. Oh, yeah. You know? You know, there's that, too. I was engaged when I went over. At the 1950s engagement party, you know, the aunts, the uncles, and everyone. I got my dear John letter on my second cruise. You don't even know what those mean until you get it, and you're like, whoa, what happened? How right. did this happen? And meanwhile, you're in a war zone. Yeah. Again, you're so young. Well, let me tell you a different story on that. I grew up in Montebello, California, went to a Catholic school for eight years. In 1964, if you think Johnson and Kennedy, the Green Beret, that's when we were sending advisors in. I think I was in sixth or seventh grade. And you go to school with the same kids for eight years, so you know they brothers and sisters. Can I say a name? Please. Susan Wesselman, who I went to school with for eight years, her brother, who was a baseball co- you know, we all knew him from school, became a lieutenant. The second lieutenant went to Vietnam. He was killed. Helicopter issue in Vietnam when the headlines were one serviceman killed in Vietnam. In 1973, January 28th, I was still in Vietnam. Think about that. That's seven years later. It gets different when you put it together. I tried to tell, I put together a booklet to tell my kids about, this is what happens to you in war. This came from our counselor. You do a three mirrors. Who were you from one to 18? What happened to you in the two to four years that you were active duty? And then what's your third mirror? What did it impact you in your future life? Mm. Well, in that, I'm telling my kids about this. And I told them a story about January 28th, that it was the 27th in Paris when the Accords were signed. It was January 28th on the Quaviet River, the DMZ, where we fired the last shot of the war. Two parts of that. A plane went down, one of ours. And as I remember, two pilots were in that plane. It was a two-seater. They went down on one of the islands off the Quavia River. This is 10 minutes before the end of the war. And remember, my memories are disjointed a little bit, but this is basically what happened. For 10 minutes, they screamed for help. Come get us. Come get us. As I was told, they were overrun by the North Vietnamese and killed. Okay, 10 minutes before the end of the war. I have the plan of the day from January 28th. It says, General quarters, da da da, 8 o'clock. Commence holiday routine, ceasefire. The war ended at 8 o'clock with a statement of ceasefire. Those two guys were dead 10 minutes before. I turned to my kids and I said how terrible is that all four of them and their spouses oh that's that's just gross that's the worst thing in the world what about the other 58,000 that were killed in the 12 years before they were just as wasted as those last two 10 minutes 12 years Susie Wesselman's brother that's what veterans deal with in their heads i made four deployments in my end of my third deployment i realized we're still blowing up the same stuff we blew up before we just keep coming back what's wrong with this picture in 1972 in november we were on refresher training in san diego making an emergency deployment to vietnam I submitted a chit so I could go vote. It was Nixon's second election. I wanted to vote for him because he was taking the troops out of Vietnam. I watched four years of change, 70, 71, 72, and 73. The war was wrong. It was wrong because it wasn't being fought to win, it was a political war. The left, the right, they used it for their own, just like they're using it now. Makes no difference. Everybody has an issue. But it's young people that pay the price. It's civilians that pay the price.
1: Well, you think of this, Noel. Again, Noel Lane, United States Navy veteran. Vietnam, four deployments, lives in Lakewood now. Four children, ten grandchildren, 40-plus years of marriage. Your wife, by the way, needs to be um, crowned queen of the universe, I'm sure for, for for what you guys have have been through. But you know, it is so true what you say about it's going to catch up with you eventually, right? And I, I want to get to, and I'll tell you, we'll do one more segment with you. But I want to I want to really address in our next segment uh, with you, Noel, about. You're striking a chord, I guarantee you, with a few people that are listening right now. And others, you know, people, you know, they may go to their deathbed, uh, veterans, uh, in denial or not. But that's everybody else but me. But I want to make sure that people know in listening to your incredible story and, and you being so forth uh, forthright about it all, how they can kind of join your group. And I know we'll talk about the Denver Veterans Center. But as we wrap up this segment with you, the fact is… You did go through this, but there is that also that gap between you get out and you, you start a successful career. Do you think, like even unconsciously, you just put the war, after even four deployments, you had to put it to the side because you had to
2: come back and live? Yes, you had to come back and live. But I'll tell you how it effect, it affects everybody different. With me, I never could establish permanence other than my wife. That's huh. my permanence. My, The string to the balloon that floats around, as long as I'm holding on to that, I'm okay. But what is that permanence? I never held a job for longer than two years. I was in senior management. I did startup shutdowns and liquidations because I could focus, work on it hard, and it had an end date. The thing I learned about Vietnam, it's like Afghanistan. There's no end date because the politicians, the ones that are driving the car, have a different agenda and they're wasting lives because it's convenient to their agenda. Not because we're going to accomplish a task, not because there's a cause and effect, but because it's an agenda. Well, and
1: you, you're not looking, and I know you'd agree, today, as we you know look at last year, our, our debacle and withdrawal from Afghanistan, there's not a, okay, here's our objective, and once that objective is obtained, war is over. That's, that's not how it's been for the last two decades. We'll continue with Noel Lane, United States Navy Vietnam veteran, lives in Lakewood now, kind enough to give us so much time on the American Veteran Show,
0: AmericanVeteranShow.com. Back to the American Veteran Show. We continue now with Stephan Tubbs.
1: We continue the American Veteran Show. We continue our discussion with United States Navy man uh, Noah Lane from Lakewood. Just a tremendous storyteller, and uh, I greatly appreciate your time. And you were a torpedo man. No torpedoes used in in Vietnam, but you were in ordnance, and you took it. And you certainly delivered it in uh, four deployments and uh, aboard destroyers. Let's get back to kind of how we started and why we're having you on the program. First of all, if you raised your right hand and wore the uniform, that's your eligibility to be on this program. So thank you. But you are part of a group that includes all the way back to two World War II veterans from Iwo Jima that I've literally traveled to Iwo Jima with. And they're tremendous. But we're talking about over the decades, this group. I would imagine you all are lockstep. You all are, to use the pun in military terms, you're all marching to the same beat, right? You are lockstep in, we've got to make sure that our voices are heard. And I'm assuming, too, you're doing this for for future generations of military members
2: as well. More than that. And if you were to talk to every member in our group, our group used to be 22 over covid it's down to 12 we've had two deaths in our group so it's it's fading away we're also in our 70s Mm -hmm. one guy in our group is 78 what we decided as a group is our time's passed will we ever be able to recreate the last six years no things changed but what we're seeing because in our all wars group we had two afghanis we had a somalia vet We had CREAVET, as I mentioned Mm -hmm. to you. They all have the same problem. And the same problem is the administration of the VA, whose real goal is to use actuarial tables, my projected lifespan, to reduce contingent liability to the VA for obligations to the veterans under its care. It does that by denying that you were in Vietnam, and that's why it's been 10 years I'm on appeal. Mm.
1: Uh, So do you feel like this, um, you know, and you certainly have experienced post-traumatic stress, and and I believe you said you were 100%. Is this like a fight that... I don't know, you know, you can't win, but you're still going to try. Or is this in your eyes, in the eyes of the members of the group, that if there's enough attention and if there's enough noise, if you will, that maybe you can crack the code, so to speak?
2: Yes. And, And it goes back to a friend of mine who has a bronze star. And he looked at me one time and he said, you know, when it's still one click to get back to camp and you can't move another step you're so tired or so you still have to walk the last mile amen yeah the va does not like the vet centers across the country because they're autonomous and over the last few years the va has been absorbing those vet centers or exerting control so in our particular case our counselor retired in may that had been announced for 18 months He's 76 years old, so, you know, he's kind of getting to his prime, sure. okay? The VA did not start looking for a replacement counselor for us until two months before his retirement. And they knew a year and a half earlier. Yeah, but worse than that, they also know, and this was all disclosed by the director and the deputy director of the VA, for, who's oversees us, it takes six months, typically... To get a qualified person on board sure well what happens in that gap right well we were dropped in may we got no contact from the va no contact from the vet center we on our own started meeting every monday for breakfast at the westwood inn just so that we could work together and keep our network remember our counseling was structured on individual Group overseen every six weeks by a psychiatrist. Consistent. Every week yes. for me, almost And seven when that years, goes away,
1: I mean, do you feel like... it stopped like
2: that. That's abandonment. It is abandonment. And when we pointed out abandonment to John Woods, the deputy director overseeing us, oh, no, 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 we're doing... It was lip speak, CYA, uh-huh. everything. Then we got his boss to come in Kerry uh, Crownover, she did the same thing. We had it all recorded. We asked questions. What about this? What about that? What we were able to do as a group is we. They first started off. No, you're out. We're leaving you on the roadside. Now, then it was. Well, we'll be here every two weeks. Then John Wood says, and I'll kick the first one off. Last Monday we wouldn't let them stop there and we've got them committed we will resume this coming monday every week except holidays they will rotate with john woods the deputy director remember this is all occurring with kerry Crownover, his boss and what's funny about this is uh kerry Crownover, the debt of uh, the district director gave me her boss's name but couldn't remember the email address wrote it down wrong and John Woods knew it none of them will correct the email addresses so we're assured that it's going forward it's
1: game playing with you um we're going to keep on this with you I do want to ask as we wrap up so there's somebody out there listening right now going what he is saying I have experienced what can people do where can they go how can they get in touch with your group and to make sure that there is
2: no more abandonment the denver vet center's phone number is 303-326-0645
1: um you have that off the top of your head <laughs> i have a feeling you've called it a few times
2: i've been going there seven years yeah but let me quantify this i'm 100 percent ptsd I was awarded that in 2018. I had to fight for it, but I wasn't, I never applied for PTSD. I applied for peripheral neuropathy and joint and soft tissue destruction caused by exposure to Agent Orange. Let me just point this out, Noel.
1: You finally are out of your contract July of 1973. You are not. Given 100% disability with post-traumatic stress disorder until 2018.
2: That's typical for all Vietnam
1: vets. It may be typical. It is unacceptable in, in my eyes. We've got to wrap up this, but we're going to keep in touch with you. And maybe, just maybe, our time together, we can raise a few red flags or an additional number of red flags.
2: I think that I would appreciate that. And I can tell you every veteran out there appreciate what you're doing. What's real critical about this is that if a veteran dies in the middle of the process, let's say the day before they're approved, all of their benefits are gone. Anything that would have gone to the family is gone. So what the VA does is deny and delay. What's so crucial about this, a veteran should automatically be acknowledged as having these conditions, and then the VA proves that they don't have them. You should not have to fight. You should not have to fight. But I spent four years to get the VA to acknowledge that I was even there, and I have a combat action. How do you get that without being
1: there? Um, you know, that's, that's more a statement or a rhetorical question than a legitimate question. Uh, we will most certainly, sir, keep in touch with you. Uh, again, visit the Denver Vet Center. And that's on Lowry? It's on First in Quebec,
2: in the okay, old, Lowry. old Lowry. Uh Lowry.
1: So they can mention your name, Noel Lane, and, and this, uh, this veterans group. And we'll keep on them. Uh, I thank you for your service. I welcome you home. And I'll give you the final word. Go ahead.
2: We've placed... In the last year, 10 out of 12 veterans with a law firm that represents them in order to get 20% of their back pay. The VA authorizes this. Nobody for 10 years in the VA will ever tell you, told me, who to go to, how to do it, what to do it. They go to the VSOs. The VSOs aren't trained. Because The appeal is done under VA administrative law. If you don't have an attorney that knows, you lose. Yeah. Which means actuarial tables work for the VA. The contingent liability goes away when you die. Our sincere thanks, and we'll
1: continue our conversation in the programs ahead with Noel Lane, United States Navy, Vietnam veteran. Our final segment is coming up, and you'll get a chance to hear about an incredible career in not only the United States Air Force, but as a captain with a major U.S. airline. And this guy flew me in an F-16 out of Buckley many, many moons ago, and I can still feel the sensation of elation. And, oh, my goodness, I was so sick. (laughs) We'll have more coming up. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com.
0: This is the American Veteran Show, online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephan Tubbs.
1: Our guest is uh, retired Major General Trulenaire. He is truly a friend and just a, an incredible patriot. And welcome to uh, those of you lucky enough to be related to this gentleman, if you are listening <laughs> now or uh, you know later via podcast. Has it always been? Was it up until your last flight? And I'm not saying you're not going
3: to fly again, but uh, was it always fun? It has been fun. So I didn't fly as a young man. Um, and my dad was a, a Marine for four years. So I didn't really have a military background. And uh, I decided I wanted to fly somewhere in high school and uh, went got accepted to the Air Force Academy. I went to the Air Force Academy in 1975, graduated in 79. And, and quite frankly, when I first went there... I, all I knew was commercial aviation. Uh, my uncle was an airline pilot for Western, and I thought, man, that would be a that'd be a great life. So, I kind of set my sights on that. And when I went to, when I graduated from the academy, and went to pilot training. All of a sudden, I realized I like flying Air Force airplanes. I like the G's. I like the sensation of flying a fighter type airplane. And um, went on to fly the F sixteen. And it was later in my uh, active duty career where I realized that in the air national guard you can both fly for the uh, the guard fly your fighter for the guard and you can be an airline pilot and that's kind of what I want to do uh long term anyway so uh, got out of the active duty Air Force and went to the Air National Guard out here at Buckley, Colorado Air National Guard and spent the rest of my career there. I ended up doing 37 years. So was it fun? Absolutely. It was 37 years of uh, incredible memories. Um, my active duty time was mostly in Europe. Uh, Debbie and I met over in Europe. We were married over there. I truly enjoyed flying in Europe. And then come back here to the Colorado Air National Guard, which, by the way, is the first fairly recognized Air National Guard unit in the country. They it, they have an incredible record out there, and uh, I was honored to be hired by them. Went on to actually become the wing commander eventually at the end of my career. And but like like I said, I spent 37 years flying uh, Air Force type airplanes. Actually, I flew 34 of 37. My last three, I was uh, my my two star job was down at Tyndall Air Force Base working at First Air Force, doing uh, homeland defense stuff. But uh, yeah, 34 of 37, and I loved every minute. And then I went into the airlines as well, and ended up doing 34 years uh, congruently with Delta, wow. uh, and 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 loved that too. And uh, finished my career flying international with Delta Airlines.
1: You and I have talked on and off the air many times over the years about 9/11. Sure. Uh,
3: give us your
1: story, like that moment you found out something was up. It wasn't a small plane.
3: I just want to sit back and listen. Okay. So that morning, um, I was actually going to sleep in because I was flying later that day and into the evening. I was scheduled to fly a training sortie out there at Buckley, and uh, my wife actually woke me up and said, "You need to come check this out." And about the same time, the phone rang, and it was this the, the folks out of Buckley and telling me, uh, "Stay home. Um, we'll get back to you, but we're going to need you later on." And I was kind of confused and watching the tv and then it kind of struck me you know two airplanes don't hit the trade centers without it being on purpose so we knew something was going on and how it would affect us nobody knew for sure but uh, uh so anyway i i you know we actually sent the kids off to school we talked about it. what should we do and i said well let's try to keep their lives as normal as possible at least right now we sent them off to school and then uh, i went into kind of crew rest at home and waited till uh, i had to go into work and when I went in, um, what we were doing, so initially when it first happened, we put airplanes up in the sky that had just training weapons. Yeah, we have bullets in our gun, but they're just training bullets. We don't have live missiles on our airplane, nothing like that. So we had some guys up in the air flying that. Nobody knew if this was a nationwide attack that was going to happen. and um so we had to get some airplanes up in the air and we did that but over the course of time then we loaded up with live weapons and when when i got in there i ended up flying cap all night long i I think i did that for three straight nights and what we were doing basically is defending the front range um between denver and colorado springs there's a lot of military infrastructure a lot of military presence if you will and, and a lot of scientific you know lockheed martin that kind of stuff there's a lot of presence here on the front range that we quote we're defending so we we would go up there, and we'd fly CAP for after hour, hour on end, and it was really eerie, Stefan. And I say that because when we fly, we fly with night vision goggles on, and you can see airplanes for hundreds and hundreds of miles. There was nothing out there. There was nothing. There was a tanker from the Nebraska Guard unit who came over and air refueled us. And so between my F-16 and my wingman and that tanker that went back to Nebraska, that's all that was in the air. And I remember, uh, we had just air refueled off, off, uh, that tanker and, uh, they had just sent, launched up another two ship out of Buckley to take our place. And I remember talking to the Denver Air Traffic Control and I said, Hey, we just got in the F 16. You can't, um, you can't discharge fuel. You know, we, we can't jettison fuel. So the only way to get rid of it is to burn it off. And I, and I said to the traffic controller, Hey, I need some airspace to go burn this fuel off because of we just got replaced and I'm, I'm full of gas, like too heavy to land. And the traffic controller said, You can go wherever you want you're the only guys in the air. And for me as a Colorado native to be flying over my hometown of Denver and my home state with live weapons, it was just a, uh, it was very eerie feeling. Um, 21 plus years later, is it yeah. still eerie? It, it, it's, I still can feel that thought, that initial thought of what is going to happen to America. And uh, here I am flying over my home state and, and we didn't know what was going to happen. Um, what, what were the follow-on consequences? So... Um, I have good friends, uh, uh my good friend Buck Buckingham, uh, Colonel Buckingham, did one of the very first intercepts of an airplane um, that was going, when they finally let airplanes start flying again, they did it on a very regulated basis, and there was a Learjet, I think it was going to Aspen, that was not what we call squawking and talking like he should, and so th- they launched to intercept that airplane, and escorted him into Aspen and he's got a great story about that but that's the kind of stuff that was going on we didn't we just didn't know as a country who to trust and when have we ever felt that in the at least in the air business you know I know
1: I'd asked you this years ago did it have to be an actual thought process if something happened where there was an airliner Mm -hmm. with civilians on it and it's heading towards something did that process go through your mind that this could be you may have to either shoot down a United States airliner with 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 citizens on it uh, if you didn't have and i mean people like you that were especially on the east coast they they had those thoughts of well, is this going to be a, a a suicide mission yeah.
3: for them as well The very first flights that launched out of um the DC area, where uh, DC Air National Guard, actually uh, one of the gals was Heather Penny. Her, she's from Evergreen. She was in that DC unit, and again, they were put up initially without live weapons, and they they were told you may have to ram an airplane if he's going to do something. But yeah, we we uh, certainly I thought about it. Now, what's interesting is I told you my last three years were at First Air Force, so that was that First Air Force is the Air Force's aviation arm, if you will, of NORAD. So my job down there was – we call it a combined force air component commander. So I was a general officer on duty who, if an airplane would ever try to breach some uh, temporary flight restriction or or do something – We would make a recommendation as a unit, it would go through me as the uh, CFAC, if you will, and I would make a recommendation to Secretary of Defense whether to shoot down that airplane or not. So I got to see the operator end and then the end of my career, I (laughs) got to kind of be involved with it in the decision process. Now... Um, out here in Colorado, we don't get scrambled on airplanes very often that that aren't doing what they should do. But uh, there's a lot of flight restrictions on the East Coast and wherever the president is, there's a flight restriction over him. Super Bowls, that kind of stuff, and you have some general aviation airplanes that quite frankly wander into airspace they shouldn't, and we have to launch airplanes against them to escort them out. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that was that took a majority of our uh, of the, what I was doing down there, but. Uh, in the end, you you were prepared, if you had to, to make that decision to shoot something down. And uh, God forbid it, it, and thank goodness it never happened. It hasn't happened. Um, and there's a reason it hasn't happened. It's because because there's a lot of stuff that goes on that the American public has no idea about. And that means overseas, off our shores, there's a reason we haven't been attacked since nine eleven, 11 And that's because of the men and women that are over there doing the job and keeping it out of our country. Amen. Retired
1: Major General Trulenier, United States Air Force, uh, just within the last thirty days, had his final flight as a Delta Airlines captain, and he's kind enough to be with us. Give a real shout out uh, again to um, to Deb and and your family,
3: uh, Debbie, the kids. Uh, my, my life would be incomplete without you, and, and everything I've done has been made possible because of your support. Thank you. Love I, you.
1: I I am and here here I am. Uh, a better person because I know you. Thank you. I love <laughs> I, I'm better
3: because I've got to spend time with you, my friend.
1: <laughs> Once again, thanks to Major General Trulon Iyer, Colorado Air National Guard, United States Air Force, retired a couple of years ago from the National Guard. And just within the last month or so, said good night, goodbye, thank you, and farewell to Delta Airlines, a true, true American hero. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode for our terrific producer, Michael Arpaio. I'm Stephen Tubbs. Have a
0: great week ahead, and remember our troops. The American Veterans Show is a copyrighted production of Mountain Time Media Group, LLC, all rights reserved. For more information, visit AmericanVeteranShow.com. Join us next week for another edition of... For the ones who get it done.